Our Father, we thank you so much for being able to be in your house this morning. We pray that um, as we look into your word that you will help us to appreciate and to, to grow into this idea of, of becoming missionary-minded. We just thank you for uh, all those that are serving um, in that capacity and, and uh, we pray that uh, as we as we learn this morning from your word that uh, we understand each one of us is a part of that great mission of the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to introduce the lesson this, or the sermon this morning, the lesson, if you will, um, by looking at a passage in Second uh, Kings chapter 5. And this is a story that uh, many of us would probably recognize, uh, a story about a man named Naaman. And Naaman is, of course, the main figure in the story, but there's someone else that I want to draw attention to um, this morning as we, uh, as we look at this account in 2 Kings chapter 5. It starts in the first verse. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And if you recall the rest of the story, Naaman does go to Israel, and he meets up with the prophet Elisha. And Elisha instructs him that he is to go and to dip in the Jordan River seven times to be cured of his leprosy. And after much consternation and other things, Naaman eventually does that and is cured of his leprosy. The one person that I want to draw attention to from this story is, it is not Naaman, it's not the king, uh, nor even Naaman's wife, but it is this little girl mentioned in verse 2. This little girl, in spite of being captured, enslaved by the Syrians, and we don't really have any of the details of that, but you can imagine what kind of horrible things that she had witnessed from that experience. But while she is serving in this house, she sees an opportunity to honor God by telling her captors about one who could heal her master. In her time and in her place, she was willing to share the good news with those that are near her. And I believe that this is at the heart of what it is to be what we call mission-minded. We've been exploring this theme over the last few weeks uh, in Phil's sermon series about God being uh, one of our great cheerleaders, that God uh, looks down and uh, applauds his people for the things that they are working towards and, and in the ways in which they try to uh, walk in his light, the way in which they try to emulate Jesus. And so this message this morning is entitled, God Applauds the Mission-Minded. So I want to explore what that means. What, what does it mean to be mission-minded? 
And I think before we begin anything else, we need to understand that to be mission-minded is uh, not a series of tasks to be performed, things that we do as much as it is a lifestyle, as much as it is developing the nature of a Christian. When we do that, and we have that mindset within us, then we're going to see uh, people being led to Christ. We're going to see people around the world becoming Christians. So to start off with, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is uh, an account of Jesus sending out uh, a large number of his followers out to teach and to preach, uh, much like um, any missionary would today. And in Luke chapter 10, in the second verse, it says, He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think the very first thing that we're going to look at this morning is that to be mission-minded is to be a person of prayer. We need to, to pray, just as Jesus instructed his disciples to pray for workers to be a part of the harvest. But there are four other prayers that I want us to look at real quickly that I think are just as essential in terms of being mission-minded. First of all, Paul in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, starting in verse 18, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul asks his uh, friends, his brothers and sisters, to pray that words would be given to him. I think a mission-minded person uh, would, would pray for that, not just for Phil when he gets up to speak or a teacher who's getting ready to share, but to pray for each one of us, to pray for our friends and our brothers and our sisters, that words would be given whenever they have an opportunity to to speak about Christ, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And I think that's an important thing that that we should be praying about. In Acts chapter 4, we have the story of Peter and John who are arrested uh, for proclaiming the gospel. And uh, when they are released... Um, after um, a long discussion, the believers pray this prayer in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon your threats, excuse me, their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and, to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. We should pray for words given to us by God whenever we are going to share our testimony, whenever we're going to share about uh, the good news of the gospel. We also should be praying for boldness, praying for boldness for ourselves, for those uh, in the church, 
for missionaries and others. In his letter to the Colossian Christians, Paul writes in verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That we should be praying for open doors, praying for opportunities, praying for people's hearts to be open and receptive to the gospel message. And last of all, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul prays that the gospel would have results. He says in verse 1, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So we should be praying uh, these mission-minded prayers and be a people that pray and have this uh, in front of our minds at all times, to pray for words to speak, for boldness, for opportunities that God presents, and ultimately that the, the word would have good results. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his followers because he knows that uh, he is about to depart this world. His hour has come, as he says, and they are going to be left here. And he has this very powerful prayer that he prays. And I want to read a portion of that starting in verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This great prayer that Jesus prays about making sure that each one of us as Christians understand that we are in the world, that we have been sent into the world by Jesus. Now, there are other passages of Scripture that um, are companions to that uh, that we also need to understand. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and accept." acceptable and perfect. And James says in chapter 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And in 1 John, we read in chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
we've been looking at uh, a series of lessons uh, during our Sunday school hour uh, of a video series by Andy Stanley called Guardrails. And just recently, we were uh, in, our, in the lesson, we were learning about this balance between the idea that Christians are to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. And you may have heard that expression before. The need to balance uh, the, you know, guarding our hearts and our minds from the influence of the world, not being of the world, but at the same time being involved in the lives of those who are outside of the church to be in the world. As Christians, we, uh, we are still called upon to uh, have an influence in all the areas of, of life that we are a part of, at our work, the organizations that we belong to, and our families and extended family with all of our friends, in politics, all sorts of areas. To be remembered uh, that we are of, in the world, not of the world. So mission-minded Christians realize that they are to be in the world. I think it's easy for us sometimes to remember that we are not to be of the world. We hear that a lot, but also that we are to be actively uh, meeting people who are not a part of the church, seeking out non-believers to have conversations and strike up friendships and, and those kinds of things. In Acts chapter 8, I told you I was going to read this uh, particular passage here this morning, and it's uh, maybe a little bit longer, but in Acts chapter 8, we read about a man named Philip. Philip was a, a missionary. Uh, he had a very important role in the spread of the gospel beyond its birthplace in and around Jerusalem. And we learn about Philip, first of all, in chapter 6 of Acts, where he is chosen as one of a number of men to serve as uh, uh, like a deacon or a minister and helping to uh, make sure that people are being fed. And that's where we first learn about his name. And in Acts chapter 8, we hear more about Philip. Apologize for not being in the right place to start with here. So we're going to start in the fourth verse here. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many par paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Then later on down in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important officer, official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. One thing we learned about this mission-minded Philip was that he was very focused on the message, on the Word of God. In verse 5, we read that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. In verse 12, it says he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That Philip was focused on how the word of God is all part of the message about Jesus Christ. I think the third thing that we can learn here today is that mission-minded Christians delight in the Word and are excited to share what they understand and learn about Jesus, their Savior. And understand that whatever we, we read about in the Scripture in some way or another has something to do with our relationship with Christ. In Jeremiah 15, 16, it says, Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. In Psalm 119, 47 and 48, it says, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. I think mission-minded people, mission-minded Christians, are constantly trying to figure ways out of creatively sharing 
the Word of God. Ways in which that the message can be brought to people who have never heard it from all walks of society, from different cultures, from different places. Very intentional about sharing their testimony, what God has done with them. They think outside the box, if you will. That's one thing I appreciate about Phil as our minister, is that he thinks outside the box in ways of trying to bring the gospel message to people who um, normally might not come to church, who don't have maybe a lot of Christian friends, are not influenced in their job or in their daily walk uh, about Christ. And so we have to try to creatively find ways of, of doing that. Mission-minded people do that. It was also Philip, I believe, who had a, a vision of this gospel spreading beyond Jerusalem. It talks about in this passage how he went into Samaria, brought the gospel to those who were kind of on the fringe of the Jewish faith. At the end of this passage, he approaches this uh, eunuch from Ethiopia, this man who had, in some ways, a connection to the Jewish faith. He had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. He was looking into the teachings of Isaiah, a passage from Isaiah chapter 53. And when Philip revealed to him the gospel message, baptized him into Christ, says he went on, on his way home. Home was in Ethiopia. We have here now a person who is taking the gospel message back to his home country. And I think Philip understood that. I think that was one of the things that was exciting about that moment was that Philip realizes that the good news here is going to go into this far-off African nation here. Mission-minded Christians, I think, have a global vision, if you will, that they uh, see that you know, God intends for everyone from every culture, from every country, every place to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we need to be doing whatever we can to see that that's accomplished. They see the spiritual potential in people. They see Christ in people. You've heard the uh, the passage in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus presents the picture of the final judgment. And these people who um, are found in favor by the king ask the question, you know, how, how when you were sick, how did, we, how did we help you? When you were hungry, how did we feed you? When you were thirsty, how did we give you something to drink or visit you in prison? We've never met you before. And Jesus uses the analogy and it says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me, that Jesus is saying that when we, when we look at other people, we need to realize that our message, our ministry to them is as if we were doing it to Jesus himself. And mission-minded people see people that way. They see the, the future of the church when they see young people, who are in need of Christ. They see the potential of the church when they look at someone and see a potential brother and a sister to be a part of the family. There's an, um, an eternal joy 
that is available to everyone, and they're excited to share that. One of the things that I did as I was preparing for this message was uh, to go online and to look at uh, some worship services that were online from a variety of different places around the world. And I, I'm, su- I'm su- kind of surprised that I had never done this before, or at least not to any great extent. And it was fascinating. Because of COVID, I think, over the last few years, we have seen more and more of that, you know, uh, church services that have been um, put online, and so they're a little bit more readily accessible now. And uh, it was really interesting to watch a church service, a Christian church service in China or Africa or South America, and to see how these people, um, within their culture, within uh, their country, with their dress, with their music, uh, praising and worshiping God. I did a little bit of research and learned some things. That, you know, the, the, the Christian church is thriving in lots of other parts of the world. We keep hearing surveys and, and uh, statistics and studies done in America that uh, Christianity is on the decline, which statistically may be true, especially in some of our mainline denominations. And you can, you know, understand maybe some of that. But around the world, the church is growing and on the move. Places like Korea, South America. In China, they have a tremendous emphasis on prayer. Many prayer services, Uh, they love to sing and uh, have very, very joyful worship services. Um, In Africa, uh, the people are very expressive of their uh, emotions uh, and they love physical expression, love to dance, love to uh, jump up and down and to move within the service. Uh, For them, rituals and symbolism and things like that are very important. I heard one uh, minister from there said, Africans, religion is like your skin. You take it with you everywhere you go. And they love to, uh, to worship, worship God. Churches in Korea, uh, there is a movement to have a lot of what are called dawn prayer meetings, to gather together when the sun is coming up in the morning and to have a prayer meeting together. They love to have collective, audible prayer, the whole congregation together, praying out loud together, not in unison, but all praying their prayers at the same time to God. And so I think it's important for us to remain, you know, mission-minded by having this global vision, to see the church as much larger than just our congregation also was looking at one other thing that this just for some reason never thought of that most of the Christians around the world at this point have had church. We're, getting to, we're towards the end of the day in terms of our uh, uh, the t- time scheme in uh, the world and most of the Christians around the world have uh, already had a, a morning worship service. Another thing we learn about Philip 
as a mission-minded Christian was that he was willing to hear the voice of God and to be obedient, to go where God called him to go. In verse 26, Philip was called to go to a specific place, to go to this road on the way to, to Gaza. In verse 29, he was directed to go to this very specific person, to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he responded. Part of being mission-minded, I think, is being willing to, to go where God directs. And it may not necessarily mean, you know, anywhere beyond uh, somewhere within our own community, but the idea is that we're still willing to go. Paul was willing to go. If you remember the, uh, the story in Acts chapter 16, where during one of his missionary journeys, he received a vision. Verse 9 says, it appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Mission-minded people are always in tune to the voice of God and obedient to Him. They want to go where He wants them to go, whether it's across the street or to another town or a state or a country to share his, his love. The sixth thing that I wanted to uh, share is that I believe mission-minded people also see the long game, if you will, the, the big picture. When we look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That, the biggest part of that commission, I believe, is the expression of making disciples. That it's one thing for us to share the Word of God so that people can hear it, but that in and of itself doesn't uh, relate very much to church growth, doesn't relate very much to the kingdom developing. We need to have in mind the concept of, of developing and making disciples, followers of Jesus. We should constantly be asking ourselves if what we are doing in the church is resulting in disciples. If the strategy is only for people to hear, then that's just the very, very first step. The gospel is not going to spread unless we recognize and understand the importance of the discipleship, growing people in the faith. One of the most awesome things about our church is the willingness to meet the physical needs of people that we have as we strive to meet their spiritual needs. I love that about our church. I love hearing about the way that our congregation um, has served in places like Africa, Nicaragua, to build homes, schools, churches, dig wells for people who don't have them. Being a part of packaging 150,000 emergency meals as part of IDES was an incredible experience. It was amazing. More amazing, however, are the stories of how those physical, tangible things have been instrumental 
in leading people to the Lord. I want to take a second. I want you to just raise your hand if you have been involved in a uh, missions project of our church. If you have gone on a missions trip or uh, say you were involved in the Ides when we were packaging meals. Yeah. That is such an amazing thing to, to do. And it's something that uh, mission-minded people do. They are willing to meet human needs while they are meeting the spiritual needs. We understand that the love of God that we're preaching about has to be demonstrated to people. It can't just be talked about. And conversely, mission-minded people also understand that it doesn't really matter how many wells a person might dig for someone or um, how many walls that they put up, how many orphans that they might feed if we're not following Christ's mandate to share the gospel as well. That in and of itself is not enough either. There was an interesting study done... uh, back in the 90s, by a couple of campus ministers. And their study was basically interviewing and talking to uh, a number of uh, young people, actually college students, who had come into a relationship with Jesus Christ during their time on campus. And they interviewed them, they talked to them a lot, tried to understand what their experiences were, and they came to a conclusion about the process by which someone comes to an understanding of Jesus and becomes a follower. And they identified him as these five thresholds of conversion. The first one was trust. That they, they identified that many of these people had developed a trust relationship with another Christian. At some point or another that they had developed Uh, over this relationship. That eventually had led to what was called curiosity. We're in that friendship at one point, then this person begins to be curious about what uh, that person's uh, faith is all about, about their beliefs, why do they go to church, things like that. The third threshold then was then being open, having an openness to the idea of their own faith, that this might be something that could be a part of their life. The fourth step then was then actively seeking, that fourth threshold of actually seeking to understand what they need to do in order to have a relationship with Christ. And then finally, the final threshold, of course, was becoming a follower, being willing to walk after Christ. And if we go all the way back to that very first part of this process here, this trust aspect, that most of these people had developed some sort of a trust relationship with another Christian. And I think that's what mission-minded Christians try to do, try to establish and to have relationships with others. They have an awareness of the people around them, and it's not just, you know, to... uh, share the gospel with as many people as we can, but to develop a relationship with them, a trust relationship so that we can share the gospel, so that we can um, help them to see and understand why faith is important in our life. 
At some point, of course, uh, we are going to need to be able to voice our testimony. We are going to be able to voice our understandings of the Word of God. And that's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, that we should be able to explain why we believe the way we do. But we need to establish relationships with people and understand that that is a big part of being mission-minded. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in the seventh verse, Paul is reminding the Corinthians here, and the Corinthians were a church that was a very difficult one. I always think of the Corinthian church as being that, you know, really, really difficult teenager that is growing up in your house, and, you know, it's hard to know what to deal with, and you've got all sorts of things you have to try to work through with them, and, and uh, it seems like the Corinthian church was kind of like a, you know, um, rebellious teenager at times. Uh, but Paul is reminding them about his ministry to them. And he says in verse 7, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? <clears throat> I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained <clears throat> and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Paul's talking about the fact that he didn't have to call upon the Corinthian church for any kind of help or support because he had other Christians doing that. He had others from other churches. He says he uses the word robbed because I think he wants them to understand the effect here. But he, he was accepting support from them, uh, churches in Macedonia that were supporting him. Paul also, of course, uh, worked. Uh, he, he was a tent maker by trade, and he did a lot of that as well to support himself. But I think one of the things that we can take away from here is that mission-minded Christians support others who are mission-minded, that were willing to meet their needs, to help them in whatever ways we can in order for them to uh, be able to share the gospel. I'm just so thankful for our missions ministry team who oversees the, uh, the amount of money that we as a congregation uh, use to support missions, how thoughtful they are about that, how, <clears throat> how mindful they are of what they believe um, is a good stewardship of uh, the resources that they have and how they provide support for so many uh, missionaries um, around the world. And we have our own mission work here in our community. Those who are working with our <coughs> benevolent, uh, the mission shop and our um, food pantry and those th kinds of things. <coughs> and our church wants to uh, support those who are involved in that mission work. And lastly, one of the things that we may not really think too much about, but I think this is um, one last kind of important point here, found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, this verse <clears throat> says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And even though this might not be the end goal of 
being mission-minded, I think it is a part of it that mission-minded Christians understand that every person who hears, every person who responds to the gospel of Christ hastens the day when the Lord will come. That as we are involved in missions, we understand that as the world gets closer and closer to you know, having everyone hearing and understanding and have an opportunity to respond to the message of Jesus Christ, that the, the day of the Lord draws closer and closer. And I think that's an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing to think that uh, as we become more mission-minded, as we think about that and as we act in those ways, that we are hastening our Lord's return. There are <clears throat> many, many people in our congregation who are uh, very, very mission-minded, appreciate those people so much. Maybe it's uh, something that you've never really thought a lot about. Um, and sometimes it's easy to focus on our own church and to know and understand that, you know, uh, we serve and we work together here in this, in this place. But it's really a, an important thing to, uh, that to be a part of your nature as a Christian, to look at and to see the work of God's church, not just here in Libby, but uh, around the world, around our, around our state and around our country. 